0: You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miquez and Mesh here on The Game.
1: 1037
0: Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: It's not quite a manic Monday,
2: but it's
1: pretty close. Welcome to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh right here on the game. It's 103.7 Lafayette one zero four one in Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. It's your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez here. Hope everybody had a great weekend. Producer extraordinaire and the co-host with the most is Mr. James Mesh. James, what's up, buddy? Howdy, partner. Howdy, partner. That's a new one. Yeah. I'm trying that's, to come up with a new one every day. That's a new one.
3: Yeah. All right. What's up, Brosif? Not too much. How about you? Oh, my God.
1: Not much, man. I mean, like I said, it's not quite a manic Monday. Like, I'm not down in the dumps. Oh, you came in. But I'm certainly not happy.
3: You came out here firing.
1: I'm certainly not happy. Uh, we got a lot to get to today. Biggest story coming out today is... Is Miles Brennan has announced that he is leaving the LSU football program after being informed by the coaching staff that he would not be the starting quarterback this year. So now the Tigers' race for quarterback is down to two Jaden Daniels, Garrett Nussmeyer. Personally, I still think it's going to be Jaden Daniels. A lot of people think that is going to be Garrett Nussmeyer. Honestly, and again, I think LSU is okay either way. I think either way, you can find success. However, I just I have a feeling that Jaden Daniels watching his tape and having watched him at Arizona State, knowing what he's capable of and knowing what Brian Kelly wants to do. Jaden Daniels reminds me a lot of uh, Deshaun Kaiser, a guy who could throw the ball yet could run the ball really well. And I think that's the kind of guy Brian Kelly's looking for. So my my personal opinion for a one-year Band-Aid, because I still believe that Walker Howard's the future, Jane Daniels is the guy. We'll see what happens a couple weeks from now when the season gets underway on September the 4th couple other things that we're going to get to today. 4.30, Tiger Talk, Wilson Alexander. I mean, how do you have a Monday without Wilson Alexander? 5 o'clock, Glenn Gilbo will join us to talk about his new book on Skip Bertman, titled Everything Matters in Baseball, The Skip Bertman Story. It is out now, so we will talk with Glenn about that. And then at 5.30, Mr. Paul Swan will join us for another opponent preview on the Marshall Thundering Herd. Paul is the host of The Drive on ESPN ninety four one in Huntington, West Virginia. It is the home of the Marshall Thundering Herd. So we will be joined by him at 5.30 for a opponent preview. Join us on the hotline 706-0111. Here in Acadiana, you can also watch us on the simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. There's a statement out from Miles Brennan on his departure from the university. It says, Tiger Nation, over the last five years, I've given all my body, heart, and soul to LSU football. Playing for LSU has been a dream come true. Wearing the purple and gold, running into Death Valley, winning a national championship, and starting at quarterback for the LSU Tigers. What more could a kid ask for? I will never forget the time I've spent and the memories I've made here. Uh, I want to say thank you to the student body, the administration, and the entire LSU fan base for all your tremendous support over the last five years. I will never forget my time in Baton Rouge. I love LSU and all of our fans. To the players who have suited up alongside me, coaches who recruited, signed, and developed me, training staff, support staff, and the fans who cheered for me every single step of the way, thank you. I am forever grateful for every opportunity I've been given, every obstacle I've overcome, and every second I've been a tiger. However, after five seasons, it is time for me to start a new chapter in my life. I am announcing today that I'll be stepping away from football. I am thankful for where this journey has taken me so far, and I am looking forward to where it takes me next. Yours truly, Miles Brennan. James, I, I know that you didn't think that Miles Brennan was going to be the guy. I hoped. You hoped, right? Hoped. Like, like, like a lot of people hearing this, you know. Just give me your thoughts.
3: It's unfortunate. I know my gram, my grandpa, and I. We had both kind of hoped Miles Brendan would kind of take over. Joe Burrow came in, he lit it up, and I was like, okay, well, you have to wait. Then, twenty twenty came, and it was like, here's your big chance. Get injured, you get another chance. You break your arm. During a fishing accident, you go in, you go in the transfer portal. No one wants you, so you come back. You give it one last shot, and then someone from the transfer portal comes here. You also have Garrett Nussmeyer, who showed signs and has made significant improvements. And then you also got a QB of the future and Walker Howard. It's like it, it felt like no matter what he did, he fought hard, he gave it his all, but it just wasn't enough. And it's like, look, I get it. You've been here since 2016, 2017, and it's 2022, and your best shot was 2020, and you only played three games. I'm not one to give up, but it's like there's only so much fighting you can do until it's like you have no shot anymore. Well, oh, yeah,
1: I mean, there, there comes a point where the, where the fight's not worth it anymore, and it, it's clear that, that Miles Brennan has reached that point. But again, you know, unfortunate – and obviously, we all wish Miles Brennan the best of luck in whatever he decides to do next. Looking at the AP top 25 poll, are you surprised that Alabama's number one? Because <gasps> I'm not. No, not at all. Ohio State, two. Georgia, three. Clemson, four. That's a little surprising because they were. Let me preface this they weren't terrible last year, but to their standards, they were bad. So, for them to be four is a little surprising. Notre Dame, five. AM, six. Utah, seven. Michigan, eight. Oklahoma, nine. Baylor, 10. Some other teams of note. How about USC up to 14? Pittsburgh at 17. Arkansas at 19. Ole Miss at 21. Houston and Cincinnati, 23 and 24. LSU receiving 55 votes to jump into the top 25? I didn't expect them to be in the top 25 considering you know, back-to-back 500 seasons, but for them to be receiving votes to enter is pretty promising, especially early on in the year. But the, the biggest story that I want to touch on in this opening segment is really I just want James and I to kind of sit here and recap Saturday night's preseason game between the Saints and the Texans and how absolutely god-awful it all was. It was all bad. It was not all bad. It don't, was all bad. Don't.
3: Don't even. I'm going to be that guy. You are that guy. Other than Andy Dalton, it was all bad. Well, see, well now you just you changed it. Because you said it was all bad and you're like, mm, okay, well. Okay, uh, outside of Andy Dalton going
1: five for five on the opening drive and throwing a touchdown, it was all bad. We're throwing, we're overthrowing receivers. We're dropping snaps. You're missing tackles. You're missing blocks. It's
3: just bad. I mean, Eric McCoy and Andrews Pete look just fine. They look like they're already in in midseason form. You would expect them to. They've already played. I know, but you're saying it was all bad. I'm prefacing not the starters that played, especially the defense, the first two drives, they looked. Amazing. Two, three and outs. It was like, okay, already a midseason form. And half the starters weren't even in. I mean, you you open,
1: yeah, you open with a two, three and outs, but then your your offense goes interception, fumble, punt, field goal, punt. Punt, 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 field goal, fumble, punt, game ends. I mean, yeah, your your defense forced a couple turnovers. You you got two picks out of the, you got three picks out of the Texans. So I mean, you you forced three turnovers, which is which is great. That Justin Evans interception was nice. I mean, they, don't get me wrong. Let me let, let me calm down a little bit. There were there were points. I was gonna say, keep and there backing were, up, keep back and up. there were nice plays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as a whole though, and I know it's preseason, it doesn't matter. But as a whole. I was very disappointed. Very disappointed. Let's go to the hotline 706 0111. Martin, what's up, dude?
4: What a glory!
1: Oh, God. Monday,
4: Monday it was. Man, man, man. I tried to warn everybody that this was eventually coming when everybody was all over the bandwagon of the Yankees. Cause they got to on a hot start because they weren't playing nobody. Of course they're gonna get off to. I don't know how many times I gotta say that. But not only have they lost nine of eleven, but they go and they get shut out by probably the worst pitching staff in all of baseball right now. Come on, man, how is that a world series team? Do you still believe they're a World Series team?
1: They're not playing like one right now, that's for sure.
4: Oh, I knew it was going to happen. They're doing Yankees things. Look, they get off to a good start. Second half of the season, I guess they forget how to swing a bat and how to pitch a baseball. So they, they they garbage. I told Paul you that. See, he, he don't want to listen to me.
5: Martin,
1: now,
4: I- look who's on Martin, yes, I,
1: I got two things for you. Number one, how in the hell did your baseball team win a game in two hours and fifteen minutes? Is question number one. That's miraculous.
4: Because we we're playing the Yankees, that's why. Okay. I mean, that's my answer for okay. that. I mean, the Yankees aren't worth a dollar. I mean, if you want to get in a quick baseball game, play against the
6: Yankees.
1: And then number um, number two, saying, num- number two, the the you know Xander Bogarts. Hit the ground out to score Tommy Pham for the first run. And then in the sixth, Rafael Devers hits a two run bomb to make it three to (laughs) nothing. My question is this, though How does it feel as a Red Sox fan knowing that more than likely neither one of those guys will be in a Red Sox uniform next year? I
4: mean, I don't get it. It doesn't surprise me because, I mean, uh, we got a history of trading away all our good players. I mean, look at Mookie Betts. You know, I mean, I mean, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, we get good players through our farm system, and we trade them. Get good players through our farm system, and we trade them. I mean, I, 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 I've kind of got used to it, you know. I know that I'm surprised they didn't get traded at the trade deadline. I'm very surprised, you know. But uh, also, I kind of wanted to touch on man. I know he didn't play a lot of snaps, but I saw a few um, a few uh, highlights from Baker Miss here, man. I know everybody's on the, on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers bandwagon, but, man, don't count out them Carolina men. They could look pretty sharp, man. I'm I'm just saying. A lot of people like to hate on the guy, and I hate on, hated on him too, but he looked pretty darn sharp uh, for a little bit of time he played in the preseason.
7: Game. He did.
4: You know, granted, it was probably third-string uh, defense that he was playing against, but I'm just saying. I mean, he's not a bad quarterback. I, I'm going to say that. But, uh... That's all I wanted to
1: touch on, buddy. Martin, I appreciate you as always, my man.
4: Yes, sir, and go Red Sox.
1: Oh, Martin. So the this things could get interesting here, James. If you know now that now that the, the Red Sox have gotten brought up, let's have a let's have a conversation about it. Things could get very interesting if the Yankees keep losing at this tra- trajectory. Thank you. Because yes, the Yankees are still 72 and 43 and they still have a 10 game lead in their division. But let me let, let's go to show how good the AL East has been this year. Okay, you've got five teams in this division. And right now, if the season ended today, all five of them are making the playoffs. I mean, how crazy is that to think about? If the season ended today, all five teams in the division make the playoffs. Absolutely wild how how competitive the AL East is. Let's go back to the hotline. I knew this one was coming. What's up, Paul?
8: Yeah, what's going on, man? Look, I got to try there. First of all, I'm kind of that. Little, look, we don't appreciate Red Sox fans, especially Mark. So, he's been calling since earlier this morning, RP3, with his glorious day trying to bash my yank. What everybody's missing is two things here. We have a bunch of key injuries. We're not going to play up to Paul. But that, our team is weak we're going to get Staten Island and the car- Carpets and them, all of them back, it's going to be a different ball game. While Wins going to come up, they're going to be ready for the playoffs. Two, I do think they're kind of slightly tanking to give the Astros playoff on field because they don't play good at um, the playoffs when they have home field. Now, the Sox, he want to bring up, those, whatever that dude Damien said about trading, first of all, he might want to start with Babe Ruth. He got traded to us. I mean, that's what they're For, for, Great for, players, for next mean, to
1: nothing, might I add.
8: Huh?
1: For next to nothing, might I add.
8: Exactly. That's, I mean, they're a clown show. And he can't compare or talk bad about my younger. We got 27 kids. supposed to have 29. But who is this team? You know, I mean, who's the stock? I don't see how everybody is. Except because I'm an ugly stocks fan, anyway, they are losers. Are they going to make the playoffs? I bet they don't make the playoffs. You know, I mean, my Yankees gonna make it. Now, nah, you're right. It would lose. It would be real interesting, but I don't see that happen. We are the Yankees. We're not doing Yankee things right now. Yankee things is winning and winning championships. Something no other team can really say, but probably the court because they got, like, 24 championships, so they know what about being on the winning side is all about. Now, I'm going to leave that part alone. Two, it's practice. Everybody look good in practice. Baker Mayfield, Tony Jones, everybody do. When the re- when it's going to come down to when the season starts, that's who you're going to find out who everybody is because now you got guys really rushing, playing to hit, and not playing because in pre- pre- preseason, most of these guys, they're they going to be driving for FedEx, nine, getting a 9-to-5 job. So some of them trying to make the team, and some of your guys are like, man, I ain't trying to get hurt. So it's preseason. we got to see what's going to happen in the season when it start with all of these teams and these players and see who they are. Paul, I don't believe in no Baker Mayfield anymore. I saw what he can do.
1: Paul, who's hey, your NFL like- team? Huh? Who's your NFL team?
8: Oh, I, I'm right. The same. The greatest okay. that's ever, put, ever emerged. All right. No. Now, last not least, and I want y'all to understand this now, and I want you to go look at it if y'all have it. Dak Prescott is not better than James Winch, And Dak Prescott is a backup quarterback. Very few teams won a Super Bowl with a backup quarterback. He make all his yards, his stats, in garbage time. And they lose the game. So, I'll leave that as that, my brother. Go, Yankees, y'all have a blessing. Nobody like um, Ugly Sox fans.
1: Appreciate you, Paul. All right. So Yeah. yeah so there, there's a couple of things to, to unpack with, with Paul's call. And we'll get to the Dax Jameis conversation in, in a minute. James, I gotta ask you something, though, because so we, we talked to, he brought up Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth was traded from the Red Sox to the Yankees in 1920. Okay? And he was traded for 125000 dollars Thousand dollars. Would you like to take a gander at how much one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars in nineteen twenty would be worth today? Probably about three million dollars. About one point eight. Damn. Somewhat close. So if I'm the if I'm the New York Yankees, am I paying one point eight million dollars to get Babe Ruth? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All day. All day every day pick pick up the phone gimme give gimme give gimme give so, me. sorry honey you're not eating dinner tonight but it's okay tomorrow i'll still feed you a steak dinner you can have ramen right now like just for a night we're good that's a that's an absolute no-brainer we'll take a timeout right here but before we do as you know football season is here the game 1037 Lafayette 1041 Lake Charles wants to crown you the tailgating king It's the ultimate tailgate giveaway powered by St. Landry Lumber, Austin Outdoors, and The Game. Score $500 to chop specialty meats, a new grill with accessories, a cooler, a set of chairs, a $500 Visa gift card, tickets to LSU and Cajun football games, and so much more. Enter in the Game Rewards Club, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's the ultimate tailgate giveaway powered by St. Landry Lumber, Austin's Outdoors, and The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Take a time out when we return. How about some sound from the Louisiana Raging Cajuns? Mike Desermo spoke with the media following Saturday's scrimmage number one of fall camp, and we'll give it all to you right here on the game. It's 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. It's your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back. It's crunch time with Miguez and Mesh. Here on the game, 103.7 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, 26 minutes after 4 o'clock. Rage Cajuns held a scrimmage on Saturday at Cajun Field. Coach Michael Desermo spoke with the media after the fact, and he had a lot to say about the quarterbacks.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's been close every step of the way, you know, and I think it is. And I think it's kind of same thing kind of rings true to what it was from the beginning, kind of when you know a little bit about him, you know, Ben does things exactly by the book. Chandler's got a little bit more uh, creativity in him. At the same time, that means he takes a little bit, takes a few more chances and does some things that, you know, and Ben doesn't do that. And so, you know, I mean, I think for us, it's the consistency in saying, all right, well, if it's Chandler, is he taking those chances in positions where we can afford them, right? Is he being smart when he's taking those opportunities? With Ben, is it, well, you know, he's got to operate really consistently because of he's doing it, you know, kind of, if it's not, if it's cloudy, you know, he's a little more hesitant to throw it. Is he pulling the trigger, right? Is he doing it consistently? Is he playing with a lot of accuracy? So I think for those two, I mean, they're a little bit different in their mindset. I think their, their skill sets are very similar. So, you know, I mean, it's still close. Those guys have competed every step of the way, and I knew they would. Uh, but, you know, it's just going to be a full body of work as we get through this thing. And I think for us, you know, it's like I said, you know, we're going to I'm not I don't, I'm don't. i completely comfortable playing it out through the end of the camp because we still have two weeks before the first game to say, all right, this is our guy. This is who we're going to go with. Um, it's always tough, man, when you have two guys that you feel could run the show. Truthfully, it's tough. But I don't think a two quarterback system where they're truly split in time. This, you know, this he's got this rack. He's got the next rack. I just. I don't think that's best for them, for their psyche, for their flow of the team. You know, it's a good problem to have when you have two of them that are that good. It's just, you know, you're going to have to tell one of them, who you know could go out there and go do it for you, that, look, you know, feel like the other guy gives us the best chance. So that makes it tough. It's always tough, I think, especially when you have relationships with people and you understand how hard they work for a job. But it's something that we have to do. And as a head coach, as an offensive coordinator with Tim, every every decision you make is for the best of the team. So that's just the way you got to do it.
3: I got 15. I got I got a little workout in that time. Yeah, you did. <laughs> it, 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 you know, two minutes. You
1: can get a lot done in two minutes. <laughs> so, Des also spent some time talking about, you know, do the scrimmages where you're, you know, obviously you play, you know, live ball in practice, but, like, the scrimmages are a little different. So the question was, do the scrimmages – mean more than a standard practice
2: probably in certain positions right like um running back a little bit right you know taking the contact getting to you know can he handle the contact get to the ground you know get going to the ground keeping the ball pressing runs deciding when to stick it in there when to get go for more and then your positions i think that that are signal callers right quarterback there's no one out there right they've got to run the show They've got to do all. They've got to you know get everybody lined up. They've got to set protections. They got to do all this stuff. Safety, right? They've got to adjust out formations. Make sure that the calls are you know everyone on the same page on both sides of the field. Linebacker got to make sure the fronts right. So I think the signal callers and, and and some of those positions like running back. I do think it makes a little bit more difference, a little bit more impact. You know, you kind of weigh maybe a little more heavily for most of them. I don't think it is. I think it's a total body of work over the course of a of an entire you know fall camp that it kind of dictates where you land.
1: And then lastly, Dez spent some time talking about how on Saturday at the scrimmage, the Cajuns had a special guest.
2: He just wanted to come by and come check it out. You know, Coach O has been really good. You know, he came by this spring and spent some time with us this spring. And I sat down and spent a lot of time with him, you know, just kind of talking about his experiences and the things that – the things he he did that he really liked, the things he did that he would do differently, kind of, you know, his take on it. You know, a guy that's won a national championship um, is someone that I'm going to sit down and, and spend some time with and, and see, you know, what I can take from him. But, yeah, you know, his son Parker is here with us in a quality control role. And Parker is, you know, he's a really good young coach. Um, we have a phenomenal support staff. Parker is certainly one of them that, you know, he's here every day and he adds value to our program and he helps us tremendously. And um you know I'm uh, I'm certainly all about anybody that's been, you know, been in the game as long as Coach O that wants to come by and spend some time with us. I I will never turn that down.
1: We'll bring you more of that audio from Cajun's practice a little later on in the show. In case you didn't know this yet, Delta Media is going to be your home for some thrilling high school football. I mean, James, this lineup is Outstanding. St. Thomas More on 1037 The Game, Acadiana High on MeTV 97.7 FM, Karen Crow on Z1059, Southside Mustang 107.1. the Vermilion Parish Game of the Week on 106.3 Radio Lafayette, St. Landry Parish Game of the Week on News Talk 98.5, and in Lake Charles, you can listen to Barb on the Game 1041 in Lake Charles. Make sure to download the station's mobile apps to listen to your favorite teams at home or on the road. Delta Media is your home for Friday night football in Acadiana. We'll take a timeout right here when we return. Wilson Alexander joins us for Tiger Talk on a Monday. There's a lot to get to. On the Game 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, it's Southwest Louisiana's sports station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
6: Johnson throws, Boutte's got it wide open at the 10, far side, he's in for the score, hit high, hammered to left field,
0: going back, taking a look, is Holcomb, and it's gone. Time to talk all things Bayou Bengals with the Advocates, Wilson Alexander. Here is Tiger Talk on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh.
1: Tiger Talk on a Monday, Wilson Alexander, how you doing, bud? I'm hanging in there. How are you today? Uh, I'm doing well, man. Thanks for asking. Question number one, Miles Brennan deciding to end his football career a little bit early. How shocked were you by the news and you know uh, now the the quarterback race is, is down to two.
7: You know, I was surprised by the fact that he's completely stepping away from football. Ronald has always talked so confidently this, this throughout this whole year really in particular. About you know winning this job and wanting to play and use his final year of eligibility to prove to the next level that he was you know capable of being an NFL quarterback it seemed like he was always wanting to, to do that and so for him to to not try to transfer and you know he was a graduate transfer so maybe you know he'd be able to to get that eligibility and play even though there was it was, it was sort of past the, the deadline to maybe do that um, for him to just step away completely that did come as a surprise.
1: What's the latest you're hearing out of camp, you know, a week and a half in, held a scrimmage over the weekend, you know, what's the latest you guys have seen? Uh, which position? Uh, just team as a whole.
7: Well, team as a whole, uh, you know, things are starting to come together, starting to maybe get settled in a few different spots, but there's still a lot that has to be decided. Um, you look at quarterback, there's still two guys in contention, though maybe Jaden Daniels has a bit of an edge. Uh, the offensive line has looked fairly consistent, but, you know, that doesn't seem set in stone yet. Uh, the secondary looks to be a little bit in flux, especially at one of the outside corner spots. I don't think that's been nailed down yet. Um, and then there's a few things still to figure out on special teams. So a lot to still be decided with about, uh, two to three weeks before this first game.
1: You know, you talked about Jaden Daniels maybe having a little bit of an edge in, in the quarterback competition. In what ways have you have you kind of seen? You know, from what you guys have been able to see, him kind of slip away from Garrett Nussmeyer.
7: Yeah, Garrett had a, a grade one ankle sprain uh, last week that limited him. Uh, the media was uh, able to view an entire oak practice on Thursday, and, and Nuss was limited that day. And because of that, Jaden Daniels got. Uh, pretty much all of the first-team reps. Uh, maybe three of them went to Miles uh, at the very, very end of practice. But it was clear that Jaden that had maybe begun to separate himself, and, and Brian Kelly was asked that day um, about it, the rep distribution and said that Garrett Nussmar would have also gotten some first-team reps. So those two seemed to – Garrett's healthy again, looked full go at practice today, and those two seemed to be um, – fighting for the job. You know, you think maybe Jaden has a slight edge just because he's sort of the first one who goes out there and then Nuss rotates in behind him. Um, But the scrimmage Wednesday will be really telling at that position uh, in particular.
3: Now, Wilson, looking at it, the Tigers have gotten a couple more big names to commit in Kylan Jackson and Ricky Collins. Could you talk about what you think they could bring to this team?
7: Yeah, Ricky, of course, sets you up at quarterback uh, for another year. Um, This day in age in college football, it's usually... Um, uh, you know, a priority for teams to get a quarterback um, in every class just because we, we see so many transfers. Um, and Ricky gives you someone who's a top 200 recruit. He's a top 15 guy within the state. In a quarterback class in the state, that was kind of unusual for what you usually Seattle, Louisiana. Uh, there's not usually this many top 200 quarterbacks in the state. Uh big year for them, and they, they got one of those top three guys, even though they missed out earlier on Arch Manning, Eli Holstein, which was expected. Um, even though new staff tried to make up some ground there uh, late. And then, so Ricky, that was big. And Kylan, you know, is another piece in the secondary. Um, they've really focused on the secondary in this class. You've got six defensive backs. Three of them are safeties, including Kylan. And at the same time, you know, when you add Shelton Sampson, the wide receiver from Catholic into that group, three big additions from the Baton Rouge area.
1: Yeah, that that, that was kind of my next question. You know, it seems like Brian Kelly has really put an emphasis on Getting the local talent to to stay home and knowing that this is just such a fertile ground of football talent, you know how how important is that for a program to to really keen in on the guys that are close to home.
7: It's always important. You want your uh, ba- you know your, your your base to be formed by the area that's uh, nearby, and Louisiana is a fertile recruiting ground. It's a little bit different with Kelly in that you know he has said that they want Louisiana to be their base, but more specifically, they want to evaluate all the way through up the you know the entire state, even up into the northern part of the state that sometimes has been sometimes been overlooked um, by LSU staffs, um, and they want to do a really good job of evaluation. Um, you know, you've seen some guys in this class uh, who are from Louisiana, but not necessarily in the top ten guys. Um, But like like an Ashton Stamps, who's a cornerback from New Orleans, who's kind of a late riser, you know, find those diamonds in the rough too because sometimes those guys go out of state and they turn into proven SEC starters and end up making it into the league and they never played at LSU. They want to avoid that as well as kind of getting some of these top guys, which is a little bit more difficult to do maybe in this class um, because they are you know a little bit late into this recruiting cycle. Uh, And there were also some guys in the top ten in Louisiana who just knew were going to go elsewhere, Uh, Jaden Osbury, Arch, Eli Holstein, uh, Tackett Curtis. To I mean, uh, they missed on you know some guys, but you um, sort of knew that you were going to have to dig deeper in Louisiana, and this was the class to be able to do that. Uh, They've still been have gone national as well, um, but they do certainly want to continue to make Louisiana an important part of their recruiting.
3: Now there's a transfer in Colby Richardson. His name's being thrown around defensively as a guy who's played really well thus far in camps and scrimmages. Could you talk about the Minix transfer and how
7: he's looked overall? He's been a really uh, pleasant addition for LSU. It's got we haven't been able to get a great look at him just yet. Um, there's only been really one open practice since he started became this first team uh, corner. Really, I mean he he's been with the first team on Thursday and then again today uh, when we were out there. And you know they added some a few different cornerbacks and. Not you. Know, Colby was sort of the fourth of the of the transfer scholarship guys, and he didn't seem like the most obvious one just because he hadn't had like an incredibly productive um, McNeese career. But he came over, and you know Brian Kelly highlighted him last Thursday as a guy who's really stepped up. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if he can hold on to that spot once Seven Banks, who's uh, the Ohio State transfer, um, is fully able to participate. Seven's been kind of easing back in. He's been you know had some injury issues last year. Uh, he was just cleared for seven on seven last Thursday, um, and you know he's kind of getting himself back into the mix. You know, but Colby has been getting first team reps above Makai Garner, who was you know a transfer who got as those those same looks in the spring. Um, he's been in there opposite Jarek Bernard Converse, and you know there's an opening there at outside corner, and, and he's certainly putting himself in the mix for that.
1: Wilson Alexander of the Advocate joining us here for Tiger Talk on a Monday. Wilson, Garrett, you talked about the offensive line a little bit earlier ago, talking about how. You know, it almost seems set in stone. Garrett Dellinger getting a lot of looks at center. Talk about, you know, what you've seen out of him, and does it seem that he could get the starting nod at center?
7: The whole line, the construction of the line seems to hinge on whether or not he can lock down that spot. He's learning center a little bit on the fly. He would have gotten a lot more reps there back in the spring if he hadn't been recovering from a shoulder surgery. And now they're having to do that in preseason camp to see because physically he's just bigger than Charles Turner. Um and he so he might be well well suited to kinda of handle some of those one on one blocks with nose tackles in the SEC. Uh but he's all at the same time sort of learning this on the fly, you know, learning how to step and snap at the same time and make all the calls. We've seen, you know, a couple of snaps today were a little bit high. And so that's gonna have to be something that that settles down. But he's been getting a lot of, of, of work at that position. And if he can uh, sort of solidify and become the starting center, then, yeah, that first-team offensive line has been pretty consistent. with Will Campbell at, at uh, left tackle, Trayvon Shorts at left guard, Garrett at center, Miles Frazier at right guard, and Anthony Bradford at right tackle. That's been the group that we've seen for about a week now um, with the first-team offense. And, you know, maybe something is subject to change but because Brad, Brad Davis, you know, he wants competition. He wants to really find who that best starting five is. Uh, and so, but recently, it, it, those have been the guys who have been rolling out there.
1: Looking at the tight end group as one that tends to be showing some depth, you know, Cole Taylor seems to be one of the leaders of that group as a wide receiver, tight end, hybrid kind of role. Talk about some of the other guys stepping up at that position.
7: Mason Taylor is really the name to, to know at, at that tight end spot right now. Uh, not that he will necessarily start, because um, like you mentioned Cole Taylor, Jack Ashburn, too. He was pretty solid, especially as a run-blocking tight end last year. But Mason Taylor has come in, and this is a position where LSU did not express any really degree of confidence. Uh, Mike Denbrock and Brian Kelly, um, ever since they got here, was, we're not you know, a lot of talk about LSU not being deep enough at tight end in order to run multiple tight end sets. That was something Kelly said over the summer. Um that this was going to be something that they had to build through recruiting. You know, they went after some trying to maybe look for a tight end in the transfer portal during the spring and, and never signed one. But Mason Taylor has come in and really given them a lot made them feel a lot better and given them some confidence at what they can do at tight end um as a true freshman. You know, he's you know the son of, of NFL Hall of Famer Jason Taylor uh physically, he's like six five and two forty five, and he'll continue to fill out that frame. And, and he's given L- made LSU feel a lot better about what it might be able to do.
1: Talk about the the health status of the team. I know you touched on Garrett Nussmeyer's ankle sprain, but are there any other injuries that that might not have hit, you know, social media and whatnot that, that fans should know about?
7: Yeah, nothing that is seems major at this point. However, there are a few guys who uh, have not really practiced. Jack Besch uh, is one of them. Brian Kelly said that he had uh, shin splints, and he hasn't practiced uh, fully uh, since uh, the start of preseason camp. He's been out there on the field and dressed out, but he's been working off to the side with athletic trainers as he comes back from that. Chris Hilton has also uh, primarily been out, um, again, on the field and working off to the side, but uh, but not practicing uh, as a you know, full-on wide receiver. Um, he has an injury of, of some kind that of Brian Kelly has not said. And then uh, Demario Toland um, had been out with um, uh, a discectomy. and um, you know, Like we mentioned, Seven Banks is kind of coming back. Uh, and there was a few other guys like Desmond Little and uh, Marcus Dumerville who were working on bikes off to the side. So they've got a few guys who are kind of nicked up, I guess, and maybe not completely full go. Um, but there haven't been any uh real major, major injuries yet, so everybody's been going, of course, not on wood whenever you talk about that.
1: Couple more for you. Is there uh is there any reason why Brian Kelly's coach's show was moved to Thursdays rather than the traditional spot?
7: You know, I don't know. Um you know, he he's come in and, and brought in, you know, some new things, obviously. A, a quite a few new things and um this could just be sort of one of those those deals where uh, you know, works better for whatever the weekly schedule is going to look like in the in, during the season. Other than that, changing uh, to Thursdays, uh, we don't know exactly what sort of that weekly schedule is going to look like yet in terms of uh, when they practice and when there's availabilities and things like that. Um, so, don't don't really know on that one.
1: And then lastly, you know, quarterback and kicker are are two of the positions that were probably the most competitive right now for this team. Has Brian Kelly mentioned anything about his plan to announce the starters at those positions?
5: He has
7: not. You know, he when he, when he was last asked on Thursday uh, about those spots, uh, he said the kicker was wide open between Nathan Divert and Ezekiel Mata and Trey Finison, um And that the LSU had, you know, it was still a ways from figuring one out. Um, and said that LSU wasn't ready to really fix, you know, change its plan at quarterback um, yet either Um, and obviously there's only those two guys now uh, in contention for it with jaden daniels and garrett nussmeyer and lsu will will probably get closer here as we go along again i think wednesday's scrimmage will be really telling about where they're at
1: wilson alexander of the advocate joining us for tiger talk wilson appreciate you each and every monday my friend and uh, we'll do it again next week
7: sounds good thanks for having me Tune in next week for another edition of Tiger Talk.
0: Here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh.
1: Welcome back. In the Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles Southwest, Louisiana Sports Station. It's your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Breaking news from the world of MLB baseball. W- Dodgers ace Walker Bueller who has been out with an elbow strain since June. The Dodgers have announced he will undergo season-ending surgery on his elbow. Now this is a big blow for the Dodgers because last reported, they were hoping for Bueller to get back on a mound next week and be ready for the postseason. And now he's out for the year. So definitely a big blow for the LA Dodgers who currently hold the best record in baseball. So keep an eye on that. See what the Dodgers do there. Poll question. No, we haven't gotten to it yet today. We've been we've been busy with other things, but the poll question is up on Facebook and Twitter. What was your favorite subject in school? Was it English? Was it social studies? Was it maybe maybe you were a math person? Maybe you were a science person? I was certainly not a math person. Never in a million years was I, I a math person.
3: I was a math fan until I got to high school where I had to do algebra.
1: Now, in like fifth grade, where you had the, the multiplication like speed test... Oh, those, those are fun. Me, give me that all day. <laughs>
3: those are fun.
1: I I knew my multiplication tables by the time I got to like the third grade. So I was I was good with that. You lost like like you said, high school. When you put letters and numbers together, you lost me.
3: I'm done. Shapes? Nope. Can't do it. I was I was a little better at geometry, but algebra just Circumference? What is
1: that? I'm kidding, but you get my point. No. No, thank you. Basic mathematics, you give me any two numbers, I can figure it out. Bigger numbers, it might take me a little while, but I'll always get the right answer. Algebra, trig, calculus, statistics, that can all go to hell. (laughs) Terrible. Um, I was definitely an English guy. Uh, Shocker, ended up in sports journalism. But... Always big on English. My mom's an English teacher, has been for 20 years. Uh, so anytime I had an essay or something in school, I got help there. Uh, was also pretty good at science. Again, I have a science teacher for a father, so that helped out as well. But uh, big history. Golly, you had all the help. Big history guy. Oh, my. Big God. history guy.
3: That's insane.
1: Yeah. Uh, I was I was lucky. That's one benefit to having two teachers as a, as parents, especially when they teach different subjects. You always have help on homework. However, you can't be the class clown or the kid that screws around at school because other than one year of my education, I always had a parent on campus. From pre-K to sixth grade, my dad was on campus with me. Seventh grade was the one year I had no parent. And then eighth grade through twelfth when I went to high school, yes, my high school was eighth grade through twelfth, sue me. My mom was there. So I could never do anything wrong. Dude, one time, well, I, I know we're totally getting off track. One time I got sent to the principal's office in high school. My mom got there before I did. Tell me how. Don't know. We'll never understand. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two, we're going to start it off with a bang with Glenn Gilbo of OutKick, talking about his new book on Skip Bertman. You're listening to The Game. It's 103.7 Lafayette, one zero four one Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
0: You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game.
2: 1037
0: Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: Hour number two on your Monday. It's Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station In your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros, Matt Miguez, James Mesh, Coming at you five oh two on a Monday afternoon. Hour number one. We spent some time talking about the top stories of the weekend. We spent some time talking about the Saints game. We'll get into some Houston Astros talk in a minute as they swept the Oakland A's over the weekend. Tonight they play the Chicago White Sox on the South Side. Uh, it will be Jose Arquidi versus Johnny Cueto. First pitch is at seven ten. Pregame at 6.40, and you can hear it all where? Oh, yeah, here on the game. 137 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Here in hour number two, we're going to touch on the FedEx St. Jude Championship. Will Zalatoris going into his fourth PGA Tour playoff, finally getting his first win. It was a great tournament yesterday in Memphis. Congrats to Will Zalatoris. Also, Fernando Tatis Jr. suspended 80 games by the MLB for PED use. Now, James, I, I want to have a conversation about that because, so yes, he was suspended 80 games for PEDs, or or so they they say it was it was PEDs. Something I read, and I don't know exactly how true this is but this is the story that I have seen the most about the reason why he took this substance. And it was because he was treating ringworm and the medication that he used contained said substance. Now, I'm not sure, you know, where all of that fits in. I don't know if that's a story that's truly believable. But it, my question, is, I guess, is this. If it's a situation like that, where you were taking a prescribed medication and this substance was in it. Now, I understand that Fernando Tati should have done his due diligence and made sure that the medication was clear of any banned substance, right? as a professional athlete that has in a league that has a substance abuse policy, you should probably check that out or have somebody check it for you either way. However, should his punishment have been maybe a little less considering it was a prescribed medication?
3: I feel like it should have.
1: I mean, it's I mean it's not it's not like the dude was just like injecting roids into his veins.
3: Yeah, uh, I would have. I would have tried to do a little more due diligence to check. Like, okay, is everything in this medication? Is this good? Like, I wondered if if the MLB does this or any league, could we get a like a laminated spreadsheet to be like, okay, what what cannot be in my medication that I'm taking? That's that's almost what I want. Like like from A to Z. What what is what is not good? What's a no go in your eyes that could potentially be abused? Yeah, and it's like if if my medication has like whatever this is X substance, okay. Either I move to a different medicine, or maybe try to get a special version of that medication to where it's like, hey, is this a necessity in the medication, or can or can we take this out? yeah to where i don't get to where i don't get suspended for 80 games
1: so supposedly uh, according to this this one report it was after tatis gotten to his motorcycle accident and he was wearing a wrist brace had surgery he's been out all season so far he had gotten supposedly the stories that he was prescribed a cream To treat ringworm from that was infected from the incision for the surgery. And so apparently the substance that is banned close to ball was in this cream. And but now the story is that he never had ringworm, but that the cream was used to try to hide any evidence of the motorcycle accident. Because nobody, there, there's people that believe that the motorcycle accident never actually happened. So there's a whole lot of question he shed, marks, she shed.
3: right? He said, she said.
1: So, no, I don't have a she shed, by the
3: way. No, oh, okay. I thought you did.
1: <laughs> but again, the, there there's a whole lot of things that are unknown here. Regardless, what we do know is that Fernando Tatis
3: Jr. will not swing a bat for the San Diego Padres this season. And from what I've heard, he is not going to be appealing it. No. So. No. Um,
1: And here's the other kicker. Depending on how long they go into the playoffs, he might be suspended for part of next year. Because it's 80 games,
3: including regular and postseason.
1: Correct. Now, I don't know how far, you know, retroactive this goes. But if it goes from the date that it was announced... They only have about 45 games left. Then you got the postseason. How far are they go into the postseason. He could miss 15 to 20 games of next season.
3: I was going to say you could roughly say they they might play They might play two eight. series. I was going to say eight, eight, nine, maybe ten
1: games. Yeah. So at, at if they play two series, at most, you'll play twelve.
3: So fifty he he's missing thirty games next year. He's he's missing the he's missing the first month and a half. Yep. So that's a brutal blow for the, the San Diego Padres. So,
1: once again, Fernando Tatis Jr. suspended 880 games for violating the league's substance abuse policy. The Texas Rangers have also fired their manager, Mr. Charlie Woodward. He is the Chris Woodward, my apologies. He is the fourth MLB manager to be fired midseason this year. The fourth. You had Joe Girardi get fired from the Phillies. You had Joe Madden get fired from the Angels. You had Charlie Montoya get fired from the Toronto Blue Jays. And now Chris Woodward getting fired by the Texas Rangers amid what they are calling a season of dissatisfactory progress. Which is mind-blowing because they spent a buttload of money in the free agent market. So, that's in- intriguing. Let's go to the game hotline, 337 T, what's up, bud?
5: Hey,
9: what's up, man? Been alright?
1: Absolutely, how are you?
9: Good, good. what you got? Uh, for the poll question, Um, you know, I'm much older than you guys. So we didn't have a computer class or nothing like that, but we had a class called Office Machines where you learned a typewriter, a calculator, and so on and so forth. That was my favorite class because we had the hottest teacher in school. <laughs> and that's a fact.
1: That's that awesome. That is
9: pure fact. For three years, I took that. My sophomore, junior, and senior. And guess what? I still don't know how to type or use a calculator.
1: That's but fantastic, huh? That's fantastic.
9: Well, I'm serious. No, I, I'm anyway. not.
1: I'm not. I'm not calling you a liar. I promise. <laughs>
9: uh, look, I got a question for you guys. All right, a uh, couple of buddies of mine have this theory that Miles Brennan, you know. Took the back seat because they really think Walker Howard's not gonna redshirt and he'll be your starter before midseason.
1: Ah, uh, I mean, I wouldn't rule it out, it's especially they've been hot.
9: They've been really high on him.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, the 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 month or so before Brian Kelly was hired by Notre Dame, Brian Kelly was trying to get him to come. I mean, hired by LSU. Brian Kelly was trying to get him to come to Notre Dame. Exactly. So it, it's obvious so, that he's high on him. Um, now
9: Jamie let that happen? Not sure.
1: Well, that that's one thing, and then the other thing is, do they want to let that happen? Because here here's my question. Yes, you know LSU is in need of a good season, but looking at their brutal schedule, when you get into the heat of the SEC. I mean, how much of a difference does a ten-win season make compared to an eight-win season in year one? Wouldn't you rather uh, save Walker Howard and have him as a freshman next year with a year to learn the system?
9: Well, surely would love him to redshirt. Surely, I mean, what I mean, bowl games nowadays. So what? You know, that's my theory. Not really big on that. Make it to the playoffs or bust.
1: Yeah, I mean, do you do you really waste a year of his eligibility just to get, you know, two maybe three more wins? Like, does that really make a difference for you? Yeah, I he.
9: Well, look, that's just some of my guys' uh, buddies' theory, and look, it might happen, but oh, I I I certainly wouldn't be surprised. Well, look, love y'all. Show keep up the good work, guys.
1: Appreciate you, T. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm never gonna rule that out, but I, I don't know that that would be in the best interest of LSU at this point. Um, I I think the the better alternative would be to either play Jaden Daniels, Garrett Nussmeyer, or maybe even both of them for a year, and then you let Walker Howard run the show as a redshirt freshman next year. Let's go back to the hotline. Jules is calling in. Jules, what's up?
6: Hey, regarding that uh, tatis, uh, it was covered pretty well today on High Heat and uh, MLB. Now they kind of broke it down as to forty games this season, forty games next season. So yep. just uh, you know, just to ballpark it, that's about what he's looking at. But the biggest gripe among the media people on the shows is that. When he was asked about the motorcycle accident, he said, which one, which leads everybody to believe that he's been involved in more than one motorcycle accident, if you can believe that. The other thing was, it was like, ringworm, that's like the dog, my homework, just admit what you were doing, say, hey, look, I apologize, I was wrong, I'll do better, and then move on. But the the more they try to spin it the the worse it looks for them and especially for the padres who uh you know have earmarked this guy as the face of the franchise with that 14 year 340 million dollar contract right. it's not a real good look and you can understand why the organization is uh pretty upset with the guy yeah. so Absolutely. That was kind of in a nutshell what they had to say about it.
1: Well, I appreciate the call, T.
6: All right, take care. So,
1: and that was Jules, by the way, not T. Anyways, but here's, here's a question that I have with the Fernando Tatis thing. Okay, so this is year three, I think it is for him, year four, very early on in his career. Now he's suspended 80 games for using a cream that probably had a minimal amount of PEDs in it. Say he comes back, never has another issue with PEDs, and hits 650 home runs and maybe the Padres win a World Series. Is he out of the Hall because of this? Does this ruin his chances of a Hall of Fame career? I don't think it should. The question is, will it? Because Fernando Tatis, he's a power hitter. And if he plays, you know, 15 years and hits, you know, 30 something home runs consistently, I mean, let's look at it. He's played, he made his MLB debut in 2019. He's already got 81 home runs, 42 of those came last year. So, you know, if he if he's hitting 81 home runs in three years, that only – he hasn't played a full season in any of them. He played 84 his rookie year, 59 his second year, and then 130 this past year. So if he plays – say he gets healthy and plays, you know, 13 years of full seasons hitting – 30 to 50 home runs a year is he a hall of famer or or does this one little hiccup with a mi- probably a minimal amount of PED
3: ruin him that that's my gripe because I, mean, I don't think it should cuz this would be the only time that he ever really got in trouble with something right it's not like he's a repeat offender so it's, it's not like he gets into something new every time Yep. We bring up his name. True. Sure. Other than the fact that he gets in motorcycle accidents and can't stay on the baseball field. Apparently multiple. But,
1: you know. The game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with our latest Astros weekend. getaway. The red-hot Houston Astros take on the Baltimore Orioles Saturday, August 27th, and you can be there. Register in the game clubhouse to score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Park, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. Astros weekend getaways are powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, La Meridia and Houston downtown, and the game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Take a timeout. bring you more of the Cajuns sound from Saturday's scrimmage, as well as sound from the New Orleans Saints. Here on the game, it's 103.7 Lafayette, one zero four one Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
0: Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. August 15th, 1993. Hall of Famer Nolan Ryan records his 324th and final career victory in a 4-1 win by the Texas Rangers over the Cleveland Indians. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Yeah.
1: Welcome back. It's crunch time with Miguez and Mesh right here on the game. It's 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana sports station. It's your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, 22 minutes after the hour. Dennis Allen, Abram Smith, Trevor Penning, and Ian Book spoke with the media on Saturday following the scrimmage. The scrimmage, basically, the preseason opener against the Houston Texans. Dennis Allen had this to say on Andy Dalton's performance.
10: Yeah, I thought I thought he did a nice job. Um, you know, moving us down the field. I thought he operated in the pocket well. I think he was five of five in, on that drive. Thought we did a couple of good things in the run game. Yeah, so I yeah, I I think Andy did a really good job of, you know, operating the offense. We kinda had a plan to get ten to fifteen plays and then uh you know getting the getting ten plays and a touchdown, we we felt like that we'd seen enough and we went on to the second phase.
1: Looking Trevor Penning one of those games that, you know, he showed promise. But he's gonna have to do a little bit more. To really stand out for me in in this offense he's looked great in camp maybe it was nerves but again gonna have to do a little bit more here's Trevor Penning on his thoughts on the first game I mean it was good to get out of here play an actual NFL game I mean there's moments I, I thought it well there's definitely there's moments I definitely need to clean up for sure I mean That comes with time and reps at it so you know i'll go go back on monday get over watch the film and learn from it and here's abram smith on his first preseason game
2: yeah no that was a big relief you know um at first you're kind of getting out there and it's like your first preseason first nfl game for me and you know i'm looking around i'm like wow like you know all the hard work i'm finally here and this is what i'm doing and you know, the jitters came, but, you know, D-Wash and, and Tony Jones, they kind of just helped me, like, hey, shake it. You know, your first big hit, first hit, whatever it might be. And just shake it, and that's exactly what I did. So, like you said, first big game, but it had a little bit of jitters, and it kind of just all went away.
1: Dennis Allen had some high things to say about the Baylor running back as well.
10: Well, you can't put the ball on the ground. And, and so um, that's, a, that's a huge negative when you, when you do that. I will say this. I thought he looked explosive running the football, and I thought there was a couple of really good runs that he that he made. But it doesn't matter how many good things you do if you put the ball on the ground; it, it that's that's an issue. Okay, so part of it was good.
1: I, I forgot that it it opened with with the conversation about the fumble in book. Terrible, horrible, absolutely atrocious, James. We're, we're we're gonna start an overreaction Monday segment, and I, I'm just I'm just gonna sit here and, and bring some hot takes.
3: Ian Book needs to turn in his playbook like yesterday. I'm gonna let you be the head of that because I try not to overreact to things. Terrible, terrible. You're okay. You're the yin. I'm the yang. What did he do well? I'm not. I'm not disagreeing. He definitely did not have a good game. He started to pick it up later in the game, in the fourth quarter, but that was with the four stringers. It it just wasn't a great performance. The passes, they were either too high initially, for even a six six Juwan Johnson or six five. He's he's a tall receiver, like he's got good height and he can jump, but it was still too high for him. And then he's. Under throwing seam routes to where the safety can or the linebacker can tip the pass and it almost get intercepted by the safety. Whenever Nick Vanette's down the middle and he's if you put it even six inches higher, that's a perfect pass to Nick Vinette, and it's a twenty plus yard game.
1: Here's my biggest thing. I've heard people when people are trashing Ian book, oh well he was efficient. He went fifteen of twenty-two and and most of those were little dump routes. First of all, secondly, he turned the ball over three times. 3. He had two fumbles and an interception. Oh, I'm sorry, he recovered one. So twice, you're right. Fumbling twice, whether you recovered recovered it or not. You got to be kidding me. You're in the NFL. You don't fumble snaps.
3: The fumbling snap was not good. I agree. The interception. It was a very high pass. Got tipped up. Easy interception for the for the defender. When it comes down to it, even even with the completed passes, he also didn't have all that good of good pocket because the offensive line, Trevor Penning, he was constantly getting beat. The offensive lineman on the other side. I mean, Calvin Throckmorton, he got moved to guard, but the other the other backup tackle, he, he was struggling himself. So he was getting hit on the edges, and he had to roll out a bunch. He had no way of really being able to diagnose any sort of plays with the defense. And even when he would scramble, he had no shot because even though he is able to get out sometimes, he's not all that fast. He doesn't have any sort of breakaway speed. He can get away a little bit, but it's not like he's it's he's no Lamar Jackson or Kyler Murray. We he could turn a scramble into a twenty yard run. He often gets sacked, and he also just doesn't have the confidence no. to to make some passes because he knows whenever he tries to do it, it gets batted, it gets intercepted, it is either too high or too low. So he's scared to like go out there and try and make a play. He's trying to just not screw it up, but when he does that, he messes up.
1: Yeah, again, um, it's the preseason. I understand. It doesn't matter. And I understand that Ian Book is realistically probably your four-string quarterback and probably not going to make the roster.
3: However, I would consider him the third string. It's just the emergency third string would be Taysom. Yeah, But let's say Jameis or Andy Dalton is out, you elevate Ian Book, and then you have him be the backup and then still keep Taysom as the emergency three.
1: And that's fine, but here's my thing. If he's going to be your third-string quarterback, hypothetically, let's say that, Uh he's got to perform better than this. He doesn't have to be a world beater, but I at least want him to take care of the football and make some nice plays. Nothing he did looked impressive.
3: Nothing. You can't you can't expect great things out of your third stringer. Most people can't even expect great things out of your backup, let alone your starter. Hell, Andy Dalton looked good. He did because he's a seasoned veteran who's gone to the playoffs, and when he actually has decent weapons and not an incompetent offensive mind, he can actually do things. That's why I didn't understand why people were so upset about them signing the red rocket. I get it. Some people are also looking at it like, oh, this could be a competition." No, it wasn't. He's just here to be the backup. but how that he's the backup? he's got experience starting and being a backup. He's a seasoned vet, and we saw it on Saturday. You know what you know what's sad? this is you know this is what's really sad and I know Jeff Driscoll
1: is the Texans backup, so it's a little bit different.
3: Oh, he didn't throw pretty passes either. A lot. His th- deep throws are very underthrown. That's why they I got thought, picked off.
1: I thought he played better than Ian Book did.
3: Hey, he had a he had a wide open guy downfield yeah, because he, the corner got burnt on a double move.
1: Well, of course he he threw a couple ugly picks. Don't get me wrong. He threw three of them. He did. He did. However,
3: I still think he played better than Ian Book. <laughs> I think they were a one a one D two D because neither of them played well. No. But you and, would have to give the edge just because Driscoll threw the game winning touchdown.
1: And Ian Ian did run for twenty two yards on four carries, so that's you cool. Know, that's also nice. got sacked twenty five times, times for thirty two yards. Yeah. So it negated his yardage. Yeah. Um impressive like, stuff. Again, I just I wasn't happy. I'm still not happy. Um I have a feeling that Green Bay is going to eat the Saints alive on Friday night. Again, preseason. Doesn't really matter but just just my thought process i'm a i'm a worried saint analyst now anyways the game clubhouse 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help you with your date night blues it's because once you become a member of our rewards club, you'll have the opportunity to win some excellent prizes like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou, a $50 gift certificate to a, Katie and a Bar & Grill, or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen. But the only way to score these great prizes is by joining the clubhouse, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. Go sign up today. Let's take a time out on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. When we return, Paul Schwan... Of on the line here in Huntington, West Virginia host of The Drive in Huntington, West Virginia will join us to discuss the Marshall Thundering Herd before the Cajuns head up to West Virginia in October to play in prime time you're listening to The Game, it's 1037 Lafayette 1041 Lake Charles Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros
0: Sign up right now for the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com so you can score tickets, gift certificates and more. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.
1: Welcome back. Crunch time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the Houston Astros and LSU Tigers. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, 38 minutes after 5 o'clock. It's time to talk about the Marshall Thundering Herd as the Cajuns take on Marshall October 12th at Jones C. Edwards Stadium in Huntington, West Virginia. Paul Swan, the host of The Drive on ESPN 941 in Huntington, Joins us here on the game hotline, Paul. Thanks so much for taking the time, man. How are you?
5: I'm good guys, glad to do it. I'm excited. This is going to be a fun rematch. And uh, by the way, wear black. It's the blackout game for the Thundering Herd, so you guys you got a lot of black, right? You can, yeah, that's a primary color for everybody.
1: Yeah, I mean we can we can definitely we can definitely get some black. That's fine. Um, question number one for you, man, Charles Huff. A a former assistant coming from the Nick Saban coaching tree, back for for year two of with the herd. Talk about year one that seven and six finish, New Orleans Bowl appearance against the Cajuns. Talk about what that year was like with the program, and what's the expectation heading into year two.
5: I think the expectation is this is going to be a better season for Marshall. Yeah, here's a new coach. Last year he comes in. Yeah, sure, he's been in some uh, premier programs, so he's he's not stranger to anything. It's just now you 're in charge, and he kind of talks about it like grandma 's recipe you know when when you talk to him, he's like, "Okay, you try to follow everything by the recipe. you feel a little bit more comfortable now in year two he, you you like sugar a little bit more sugar he, he's going to add a little bit more sugar to the recipe, so he's confident he feels that he's uh, gotten a lot smarter in year two, and he's a little bit more comfortable in the position, so I think the expectations are there, plus you know you're coming into a conference that's probably bar none the best g5 conference out there and on top of that the expectations are really getting a lot of people excited
1: you know talking about you just talked about the people the fans excitement moving from conference USA to the Sun Belt with these four new members with old Dominion and Southern Miss and James Madison has that added to the level of excitement the fans are feeling Huntington
5: I think so. Conference USA, at the time when Marshall got into Conference USA, it was a completely different league. You had Cincinnati in this league, Louisville was in this league, and then with Conference shakeups, it wasn't the league that Marshall thought it was getting in, and they were hoping for something that would really take the program to the next level. It didn't happen. There were some down years in Marshall football. Traveling to Texas is not fun. Traveling to... All over the map. I mean, it was truly Conference USA. You're all over the place. And I think the excitement level just started to diminish year after year after year. Now you're in this league. You've got some opponents from Conference USA that you like. James Madison. It's close. You have so many teams that you can drive to. I mean, South Carolina. I mean, that's that's a home away from home for uh, for everyone here in West Virginia. Easy trips. Appalachian State, familiar foe. Now we have history with Louisiana. So I think the excitement level is at an all-time high because the Sun Belt feels like it's a bigger conference. It might be a G5 conference, but it feels so much better and so much bigger top to bottom than anything Conference USA ever was able to do.
1: Grant Wells was the quarterback of the Herd last year, had a good year, decided to transfer out now at the University of Virginia. Talk about who's next up for the herd you know a lot of people think it's going to be Henry Columbi. talk about who you've seen in camp that that's really stood out
5: I think it's going to be Columbia just because he he brings that experience he brings what Marshall doesn't have right now and that's experience at the quarterback position you're losing over 3500 yards from Grant Wells but you're also giving up um, less than Interceptions. I mean, he was interception-prone his last two seasons at Marshall, he threw 22 interceptions. So if you've got an experienced quarterback coming in that can maybe give you similar production, cut down on those turnovers, I think Marshall's going to be fine. Plus, Coach Huff has talked about how he comes in, he how he holds himself, how he handles himself. You know, he comes in as a veteran quarterback, and I think that's something that you really need at that position right now. Uh, Cam Fincher is someone that I think is the future for Marshall at that position, but right now I think it's Columbia coming in. He's got that veteran leadership and that experience that they Marshall desperately needs at that position.
1: Rasheed Ali is another guy that, I mean, how, how do you not talk about Rasheed Ali? I mean, he's one of the best running backs in America. As it, as it stands right now. Talk about his skill set and, and kind of, you know, what he brings to this program that makes him unique.
5: I think he's explosive, for one. And he's someone that I've rarely seen him take a loss. And he had almost 2,000 all-purpose yards, a lot of touchdowns. Uh, he's someone who can be elusive. He even had a, a kickoff return. And... I think you're going to see him really mature even more now. And at the same time, I think you're going to see that running attack get even more dangerous because you've got a newcomer coming in uh, with Kalen LeBorn, and he has shown a lot of flashes right now, and that's going to give Marshall uh, something it didn't have last year, and that's depth. And so if you've got Rasheen continuing to be explosive, chew up yardage, and then you can bring someone in like LeBorn – and if he continues to show those flashes, I think Marshall's going to be a lot better at that position. Hopefully they have enough footballs for both of them because that's one thing that I think Marshall really lacked last year was depth. I mean, everything was going well, but you saw towards the end of the season the depth and injuries really hurt them.
1: Receivers, you know, if Columbia ends up being the quarterback, talk about some receivers that this offense has that, that he might be able to throw the ball to.
5: I'm a big fan of uh, Corey Gamage. I really think that he is going to have a standout year, and I think Talik Keaton will bring you some experience as well. Uh, they're still trying to figure out who's going to be the guy coming in, I and mean, they're at that point now where, okay, you know, we're, we're really trying to find out who's going to fit with this system. But I think the one guy that's really going to stand out for me will be Corey Gamage. Um He had 78 receptions last year, uh, almost 900 yards. He had a couple of touchdowns. Um, he was a third-teamer, Conference USA, and um, actually, no, second team. I apologize. He was, uh, no, he was a third teamer. He was a third-teamer, Conference USA. But I think he's someone that comes in that you, you got to look at as a threat for Marshall. Uh, I know Marshall didn't get much preseason love from, from the uh, Sun Belt selections, but Gamage and Tali Keaton, those are two guys that are definitely going to be ones to watch out for.
1: Chat with Paul Swan of ESPN 94.1 The Drive in Huntington. The O-line, Paul, went from a major strength for Marshall to kind of a question mark coming into this season. Only two starters back. You've got a couple of transfers coming in. Kind of talk about this group and who's who's really stepped up on the O-line.
5: I think right now, the and you you mentioned a lot of questions here for the offensive line, but... I think you're going to see uh, a guy like Logan Osborne at center. I think he's going to be a, a real standout for you. Um, you have a Carolina, East Carolina transfer in Trent Holler. Uh, I think he's going to be really good at right guard, so you got to keep an eye out for him. But really, I think what you're going to see here is more depth. I don't know if you're going to have that one standout guy on the offensive line, but I think you're going to see more depth at that, at those positions, and that was where Marshall really hurt last year. Uh, They have brought in between recruits and transfer portal, I think, over 40 guys, so they're still trying to figure out who they've got, but they've got the depth now. I think that's going to be what you're going to see from this team a little bit more is is depth over maybe that one guy that stands out, but I like a Logan Osborne center. I really think he's a, a tough kid who's going to bring a lot this year.
1: Looking at the defense, six starters back this year, including Abraham, Abraham Bowplan, and Eli Neal, your two top tacklers from last year, Owen Porter as well, who had a big game in the New Orleans Bowl. Talk about this defense, and, and for you know Lance Gidry, uh, an Acadiana product, who who really stands out.
5: That's, um, I think they're even though maybe uh, Saturday at the scrimmage, uh, the offense kind of flashed on them first. I thought the defense really picked itself back up and didn't quit. Yeah, it was a it was a group effort really for those guys because uh, right off the bat we saw a, a flash from Kaylin uh, LeBourne and it maybe looked like okay the offense is ahead of these guys but yeah I think they're you're seeing some veteran leadership there uh, you got a guy like Eli Neal linebacker uh, Abraham Boplan, you can't you know you can't overlook him and then I think one of the instrumental leaders of that team is Cody Cumberlander uh, if you ever met him he is the most energetic human being you could possibly talk about uh he's appreciative of everything that has happened to him and uh from where he began he's he, this is year six for him so he's got that leadership and he talked about i think the the whole defensive line has talked about the fact that they are thriving on the new competition that they're going to get here from these sunbelt teams he had If you're good, uh, I think you play up to that level, and I think that's what we're going to see here. But I I do like Boplan. I like Neal a lot. They're they're leaders. They combined for more than 200 tackles last year. I think you're going to get some experience from Charlie Gray as well, at linebacker. Uh, But a guy that's going to be talking a lot out there, and I think you're going to see him as more of a vocal leader, is uh, Cody Cumberlander, defensive end. Uh, He is somebody who really stands out to me.
1: Lastly, 7-6 and six last year with an appearance in the New Orleans Bowl, which was a great game. I mean, Marshall had the lead heading into the fourth quarter of that one. What's the goal or you know, kind of the bar this year for this football team?
5: I think always for the team is to, to win the conference championship. That's always the goal. Now, will that happen in year two and the first year in the Sun Belt? I don't know. Coach Huff has constantly pointed out to the fans that the, he uses this term, the conference is real. So I think from the fans' point of view, the fans are expecting uh, an East Division championship and, and winning the Sun Belt. I think anybody that comes out of this East Division probably going to have a loss or two uh, on the record here. So if Marshall can go, in my mind, 10-2, and two, maybe 9-3, and three, I think that's going to be an improvement from last year. I just don't know where you're going to get the wins, even though a lot of the big games are at home, Louisiana's at home, Coastal's at home, Appalachian State's at home. You've got Georgia State at home, so you've got that advantage. I just don't know, you know, for any of these teams really, you know, how, how many of these teams are going to be double digits because it's just that good top to bottom. But if you ask herd fans, well, of course, herd fans think they can win them all. But I think realistically – I've seen 10-2s, and 2s, maybe the projection, 9-3, and 3, and I think that's a fair projection for this team. But the championship's always the goal here. But I think uh, realistically, Marshall knows, the coaching staff knows, it's in a better conference and it's going to be tough and the challenge is going to be there. I think the fans, though, are expecting the Thunder to come in, Marshall just come in and, and be the Marshall of old and win conference championships.
1: Paul Swan of ESPN 94.1 The Drive in Huntington, West Virginia, joining us with an opponent preview of the Marshall Thundering Herd. Paul, really appreciate you taking the time. Great insight, and as the season draws a little closer in that matchup in October, we'll talk to you again.
5: Yeah, looking forward to it, guys. Anytime you need me. Thanks.
1: There he goes, Paul Swan. We'll take a timeout right here. Wrap up today's show on the other side. You're listening to The Game. It's 1037 Lafayette, 104.1 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. It is your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back. Crunch time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. It's 1037 Lafayette, 104.1 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station and your home. For the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros, Matt Miguez, James Mesh, couple minutes left here on your Monday. What was your favorite subject in school? So far, zero people have said English. Zero. (laughs) 42% say history. 16% say science. I've got a couple of comments. John Paul says history was the only subject that ever interested me. Uh, Tan says P.E. and recess. Also enjoyed being the only guy in home ec. (laughs) And Brody Lejeune said math. Well, Brody, good for you. That was not my strong suit. My high school GPA was a 3.4, and it's all math's fault. That's going to do it for today's show. Really appreciate Wilson Alexander for Tiger Talk, Paul Swan of ESPN 94.1 The Drive for joining us as well. Thanks to the callers. James, appreciate everything you do. For James Mesh, I'm me guys. Be safe, be well, hug your mom and them. Astros coming up in... The bottom of the hour, you're listening to the game 1037 Laugh Yet, 1041 Lake Charles. It's Southwest Louisiana's sports station.